I'm so grateful as a pastor, as a teacher, as a preacher, that it's not all on me. In fact, hardly anything's on me. It's all on Him. If we humble ourselves before God, He will speak to us. Just as our brother said a few moments ago of how God is just speaking to him and he sees God's hand opening doors and windows and and things are, and it's like unexpected. It is a work of grace. It is a work of the shepherd Jesus disclosing himself and his ways. And when God gives you understanding about something, who gets the credit? Do we talk about, if you're in a classroom, who gets the renown if a whole classroom full of, of students get the lesson? Do we say, oh, what smart student? No, wow, what a great teacher. Our God is a great teacher. Our God is the one who shepherds us through to an understanding that we would never have come to left to ourselves. I've already read to you Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Let me now continue with verse 17 of Matthew 20. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Our Father, we ask that you will shepherd us through this in our understanding, that we might 
come out of what you teach us this morning as representatives of what you're urging us to, what you're pointing us to. That would be a divine outcome, and we are asking for it. In the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. As I read this extended passage, honestly, beginning with the, the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, that's a pretty awesome kind of frightening passage. Here is the vineyard owner. Obviously a large vineyard. He goes to the town square where all the laborers gather so that people, these vineyard owners and other businessmen can come and hire them for that day's labor. And he goes there as the sun is coming up and he hires a host of men to come and work in his vineyard for a denarius. Denarius was the standard daily wage of a laboring man. That's what the word denarius means. The standard daily wage for a 12-hour day in the vineyard from sunrise to sundown. And he hires a number of men. And they go out in his vineyard. And then he goes a few hours later and hires more. An hour later hires more, hires more, hires... Saying to those men, not I will give you a denarius, but I will do what is right for you. And apparently this vineyard owner has a reputation of integrity. That, okay, we will trust you to do what is right. But of course, even the 11th hour, an hour before quitting time, he goes and hires more men and you go. Into the vineyard, I'll pay you what is right. Okay, better that than going home with an empty pocket. And so they go out in the vineyard and they spend their hour in the company of men who have spent three hours or four hours or 12 hours when the day is done. And then the sun's going down. The vineyard owner calls us, says to the steward, gather them all and line them up from last hired to first hired. And then to the shock of everyone, he hands those last hired men a full denarius. One hour's work, they got a day's wage. Now, honestly, if you're at the end of the line and you worked 12 hours, whoa! This is cool. If he's paying those guys who worked one hour or three hours or four hours or six hours or nine hours a denarius, what can I expect? So I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect them to have a higher expectation than what was promised based on what they've seen. But what happens? He's being very generous. Those... And then the men who come at the end who've worked a full 12-hour day, as they say, in the heat of the day, put in all this work, and they're paid a denarius. And they're bummed out. Honestly, folks, there's some logic. But what's the vineyard owner doing? 
he is paying them what he agreed to pay them. A normal full day's wage for 12 hours in the vineyard that they didn't argue with one bit when he hired them. And they get bummed out because, well, we saw the enormous generosity for those fellows at the front of the line who worked only one hour. So we anticipated from that that we were going to get more. No, I'm giving you what you agreed on. Well, they're angry. Why are you angry? Because I was generous to this fellow over here. Do I owe generosity to you? Does that create an obligation with you? Well, obviously the logic is no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And Jesus says, So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. What's the point of this? Is it that when we step into the presence of God, there are going to be a whole lot of us bummed out? Oh, wow. You know that guy who was saved five minutes before Jesus yanked him out of his sandals, and he got this, he got, uh, that's not the point. The point is that God, in fact, will treat us all like the last hired. His generosity is outrageous. Don't draw the, young, the wrong conclusion that somehow anybody who is welcomed into the presence of God is somehow going to be bummed out. No. Even if you only got the basic plan, you're going to be overwhelmed with blessing. If God chooses to give more, and of course, the Apostle Paul in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians addresses the issue of the event that's going to happen to God's people. We're going to be yanked out of here. It's called the rapture. And we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That is not a judgment for punishment. It is the Greek word bema, which was the reviewing stand, was the referee stand at the Corinthian Games. Athletic Games. Also at the Olympic Games. And they would... Those who won their events would be brought before the Bema seat and they would be given their reward. It wasn't a judgment for to punish. They didn't do something bad to the losers. They did something good for those who had won. And that is the judgment seat of Christ. It is a judgment for rewards. That is the judgment that those who have entrusted themselves to God's mercy and grace will be present for that judgment. And participating in it. But do not understand from this passage that it's talking about God somehow being generous with some and miserly with others. That's not at all the case. The same God who sent his son to pay sin's penalty for us on the cross. Look at, we don't even know what that cost God. I mean, we'll look at Genesis 22 where Abraham, Abraham, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, laughter, whom you love to the place that I will show you and sacrifice him to me there. Without a single word of argument, Abraham immediately 
calls a couple of servants, calls Isaac. They load the stuff on the donkeys, and they head. I believe it was a two-day journey. Come to the place, the base of a mountain, and Abraham says, you servants stay here. Isaac and I are going to the top of the mountain, and then we will return to you. And Isaac carries the wood up the mountain on his back. He's not a toddler. He carries the wood for the offering up on his back up to, up to this mountain, top of this mountain. They build the altar. Halfway up the mountain, Isaac says to his father, we've got the wood. You've got this torch in your hand to light the wood. But where's the offering? God will provide himself an offering. And finally, Abraham binds his son, Isaac, who's got to have it figured out by this time, picks him up and lays him on the wood of the altar. He pulls out his flint knife, and as he's coming down, God stops him. Now, we look at that, and honestly, we can recoil at that. Why did God put Abraham through that? So that as we look at that, and we stand in the place of Abraham, we're horrified. We're horrified. But God stopped Abraham. He didn't stop himself. His son literally carried his own cross up that mountain, and he was crucified on it. He was sacrificed on it. That's what God has already done to make it possible to bring us fallen sinners into his pre welcoming presence. He loves us so much. Everything after that, folks, is pocket change. He's already emptied the bank account for us. Do you think he's going to be miserly when it comes to kingdom trinkets? I don't think so. But what he is saying is, I am Lord of all also. And what is amazing to me, and I think as we've gone through Matthew's gospel, it's been amazing, I think, to all of us to see what the disciples are going through. And it's understandable. I mean, we saw in Matthew 16 where Jesus takes the apostles aside. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist or some from the dead. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're this, that. Some you're one of the... Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaking on behalf of all of them, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed Son of David, the Son of God. Yes, Peter, you are right. Yes, Peter, you are right. And you are Petras, this fist-sized stone. And on this Petra... Feminine form of the same word. I will build my church. Heaven revealed this to you, Peter. And then Jesus tells them for the first time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to rise. And Peter takes him aside and says, Not so, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. And every time Jesus has made this announcement of his coming suffering from that point on it's like 
We're going to pretend we didn't hear that. <laughs> He's given them the parable of the vineyard. The workers of the vineyard. Then he tells them, beginning in verse 17, he reminds them, takes his 12 disciples aside, behold, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed and the chief priests and the scribes and they will, to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify and the third day he will rise again. And then Zebedee, sons, James and John, bring their mother and, oh, in the kingdom, could we be at your... And we're like, what? Didn't you hear what he just said? Well, why did they hear it? I'm sure it struck their eardrums. It's not. I, they are in denial, folks. We're going to pretend you didn't say it. We didn't sign up to be your followers so we could see you get crucified. And by the way, they stop, they're, they're, they stop hearing when he says betrayed and crucified, handed over and crucified. And so here James and John, the sons of Zebedee, bring their mama <laughs> to Jesus. Can we be at your right hand and left hand in the kingdom? And it's like this declaration of his impending suffering has just gone by them. But they're in denial. Frankly, it's understandable. But they're in denial. And so again, in this passage, he's addressing much of the same thing he did in the parable of the vineyard. So the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John, came to him and her sons kneeling down and asking something from, and I think it's Mark's gospel that they say, <laughs> she says to them, uh, I'm going to make a request from you right now and I want you to say yes before you even know what it is. I think we all had kids that tried that on us a time or two, right? <laughs> Daddy, Mama, I want you to say yes before you even know what I'm going to ask. And Jesus says, no, you ask. <laughs> I don't do that. What do you wish? No, tell me, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? I just told you I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to endure all of these sufferings. Yes, I, and I will rise from the dead. Are you able to drink that cup? Are you able to be baptized with that baptism? Well, certainly, Lord. <sighs> I found something out uh, about a month ago that happened about 18 years ago, my son Nathan, who is a Marine officer in the reserves, told me that when his sister Katie joined the Army, this was in the year 2000, right after she got out of high school. In fact, she joined before she graduated. But when she graduated, she went in the Army, and she is in the middle, middle of basic training in the U.S. Army. 
and she calls her older brother Nathan, who's been through Marine basic training. I think I really made a mistake. <laughs> this is horrible. And he said to her, wise words, Katie, just do one day at a time. One, don't try to do all the basic training in one day. They're not going to make you do that. Just do what they're asking you to do one day at a time. 18 years later, she's still in the Army. <laughs> and she's really glad. But we didn't, I didn't hear about this until a couple weeks ago. She's not going to call Dad, because Dad is the one that said, don't you dare sign up. <laughs> but what happened? She signed up to drink a cup that she's drinking this cup, and she said, I don't want this cup. What did I do? And they're saying, oh, yeah, they're in the recruiting office. Oh, yeah, I, we can do this. Oh, no, what did I sign up for? You do not, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? By the way, these two men, James and John, James of the apostles was the first one to be martyred. He was put to death. And it's the only apostle execution that is mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Acts. He was put to death by Herod Antipas. His brother John would outlive all of the other apostles. His brother, we're in the 30, we're in 33 AD. The Apostle John would live another at least 60 years. So here is the first apostle to die and the last apostle to die. Frankly, folks, it wouldn't surprise me if they were on the right and left hand of Jesus in the kingdom. But Jesus says, be very, very, very careful what you're asking for. Because it, it's more than you think it will be. He said to them, when they said, oh yeah, we're able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism which, that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. These guys, are they don't see themselves as pals. They see themselves as competitors. They really do. They all want what these two brothers asked their mama to ask for for them. They all want that. And we've already been in the passage where they're debating with each other about who's going to have the best place in the kingdom. And Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? Well, <clears throat> who's going to be best, have the best place in the king? Stop it, boys. Stop it. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. They see themselves as competitors. He's saying, stop it. I want you to look at each one of you to look at your fellow apostles in this way. 
I am to be a servant of that man. I'm to do my best to advance their interests in the kingdom. I'm to serve them because the one who is the servant of all in the kingdom will be at my right hand. Who is the servant of servants? Jesus himself. That's why he will be the king in the kingdom. He will be the king in the kingdom. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. He's already told them repeatedly, you're to be children. You are to serve children. You are to be children with one another. You are stop comparing yourselves and demanding wealth and authority. Instead, I want you to be foot washers. I want you to wash one another's feet. Be servants of one another. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Now, slave is a remote word to us. It wasn't a remote word to them. The majority of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Which meant you had no legal standing. You were a possession. You were a thing to be used however your owner wanted to use you. And he's telling these men to set aside their rights and their demands in serving other people. That's not native to us. That is something that only God can bring to pass in us. Folks, this passage has been beating, beating me to death for a week, okay? So you're just... <laughs> it should not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. I am going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you by my suffering. I'm going to buy you out of the slave market of sin. And you are going to be set free. But I want you in your freedom to set aside your rights and become servants, slaves of one another. And the one who is servant of all will be seated in my right hand, will be those closest to me in that kingdom. We just had a brother asking for prayer. What? That I might not be angry, that I might be a servant. We have a brother here asking for much the same thing. And he's asked for prayer following the worship service. But is that not the struggle we all have? Of course it is. It's the basic struggle of discipleship. It's the basic. And, and Satan does not leave us alone. 
He wants to pull us away from that by inciting us to stand up for what we conceive of as our right. A slave had no rights. If I'm angry with somebody, what does that mean? I have a right to be treated a certain way. Excuse me? Didn't Jesus set aside his rights to be worshipped as God the Son? To go to a cross and pay, take my place that I rightly deserved on that cross for an eternity? He did. Now, he doesn't just give us those marching orders. Thank you, Lord. When we came to faith in Christ, God the Holy Spirit came to dwell within us. Jesus says that in the Gospel of John, I'm going to give you another comforter of the same kind as me, the Holy Spirit, and he will dwell within you so that you are able to carry out and be me, replicas of me in this world. He's going, the kingdom is coming, and he is going to pour out blessing, reward on us that we don't even have the frame of reference in this world to understand. It will be so unbelievable. We don't know. Anybody here ever been to paradise? I haven't. <laughs> and we hear all these beautiful places here in this world. The most beautiful place in this world doesn't hold a candle to what he's going to be walking us into with his presence. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to pay sin's penalty for us, to create a welcome, a glad welcome for us in heaven. That's the gospel message. But there's also the disciple message. The measure by which you serve me in your earthly walk is the measure by which you will experience extra kingdom glory. Which will be immeasurable. Lord, we don't understand the fullness of our redemption and even much less do we understand what that kingdom of glory is going to be. But we do trust you, the God of mercy and grace, to be the one who will reward for even the hour's work in the vineyard. Outrageous, generous reward that will only point not to our effort, but to your generosity we thank you for that promise. Good shepherd, mighty God. And all God's people said, Amen.